You're listening to the Plain Label Podcast. She said I'm leaving, and I held the door for her. I tried to play it so that this was realistic in terms of their relationship. He was obviously holding some things back, and it wasn't going to be pretty when he let them out. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Williams. In this episode, we continue a discussion on director Martin Scorsese with the films Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore and Taxi Driver. Joining me once again for this theme and this episode is returning guest, Mr. Ben Teed. Hello, thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Before getting into our discussion, I would like to remind you that we are brought to you by the Deliberate Noise Network. Search Deliberate Noise in your podcast app for more great shows from the network. Mr. Teed, you just cracked open a beverage. What is it that you're having this evening? I have the very last bit of my little something. uh, Oh, yes. Nice. So next time it'll be something new or it'll be more Lagunitas. You'll just decide to take a new trip. I'm kind of that, you know, the whole point of getting this Lagunitas was because I felt like a beer. It was getting, starting to get hot out again. I was starting to be like, you know, coming in from mowing and stuff like that. I'm like, man, I really want, you're feeling like a, you're feeling like a Chris, Christopherson sort of manly man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, 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 yes. And, you know, sometimes you need a beer and yeah, I just, I went there and I didn't have any, so I had to go get some. So, yeah. I like it. So we'll see. I like it. So I figured, you know, we're talking about Taxi Driver, one of Martin Scorsese's most famous films, and that is a dirty, grimy New York City. And to go along with that dirty, grimy theme, I'm having some watermelon juice and vodka. Perfect. I am am (laughs) trying to keep the evils at bay by having something light and refreshing and not uh, depressing. (laughs) Because we have enough of that going on in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm totally not having this beer because of anything that's going yes, on. <laughs> I'm definitely not paying attention to any sort of news whatsoever. <laughs> so that is what we are having. Those are the movies that we are discussing. Our first one is from 1974, and it is Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. 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 I've got it. Alice doesn't live any of those places anymore, because when they start closing in, Alice hits the highway. We ain't hiring no waitresses. I'm not a waitress. I'm a singer. You were one no singer. Oh, T, sure. Did you decide what you want for breakfast? First, I want a big smile. Do, do you want eggs? Yeah, ham and eggs. Ham and eggs. Okay, how do you want your eggs? Everybody, listen. We got us here a new girl. And her name is Alice. And today is her first day on the job. And Mel here says that she was a singer. How about them apples? <laughs> but hands off. Let the girl do her work. If there's going to be any potato around here, grab mine, Steve. You look, but don't you touch. Would you mind uh, turn around for me? Turn around for you? Why? I want to look at you. Well, look at my face. I don't sing with my... I'm not a waitress. I'm a singer. I want to sing. I want to be a singer. I'm a singer. I am a singer. I am a singer. I am a singer. I am a singer. Well, what about Friday? 
No, I can't. I'm sorry. Thank you. New Year's Eve. Well, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be here for New Year's Eve. What am I doing wrong? When I was 19, I got a job in a, this really nice hotel in Monterey, you know, and I would play the piano and sing, and I really liked it there. That's why I want to go back and pick up where I left off. <laughs> do you want to go home, or do you want to sing? I want to do both. Can I have everything? I want you and Tommy with me. What the hell do you want? Oh, David, you just don't understand. You could be happy here. Oh, sure, sure. But I'm not going to let anybody stop me this time. Who's stopping you? And the IMDb plot synopsis for this one goes like this. Alice Hyatt is a 35-year-old housewife living in a small town in New Mexico. She has a precocious, cocky 11-year-old son, Tommy, whom she adores, and a cold, unsophisticated, demanding husband whom she tolerates. Then her husband dies, and Alice and Tommy's world is torn apart. Short on money, Alice decides to move back to her hometown of Monterey, California, and rekindle her singing career. On her way there, she and Tommy decide to stop in Phoenix, Arizona for a few weeks. Alice gets a job singing in a bar, and things are looking up. However, Alice's terrible taste in men once again puts paid to this progress. Puts paid. Is that a saying that I'm not aware of? Puts paid to this progress. I've never heard that. Puts paid? Puts paid, huh? Maybe that's a thing that I just don't know about. So, this is is the Ellen Burstyn vehicle. First of all, the the plot synopsis wasn't too bad, but you don't need precocious and cocky next to each other. Just choose one. Just choose one. Anyway, uh, coming out. that's right. So this is Ellen Burstyn's uh, Oscar-winning performance. Um, had you uh, heard of, been familiar with? Uh, what was your What was your history with uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore? The only thing was the title. I had heard the title before, and I could not make assumptions about it. Mm-hmm. You know, in ter- I I just had no clue. Um, so was very surprised by this little movie. I mean, it was just nice. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I was always on a list, you know, I mean, really watching any, all I'm watching all of Scorsese's films, everyone, at least the ones that I can find, not just the ones that we're talking about on our list, but, um, but it's just, that's my history is just literally seeing the words on a list. I, they, other than that, nothing. I didn't know anything about the Oscar-winning performance, anything like that. What did she win? Right, she did. Win. Yeah, she won for best actress, and okay. then um, and then they uh, they made the uh, the TV show Alice after this was based on this. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Which, which is the only sort of history and kind of bleeding into my history with it. The only sort of reference that I knew of it was from some Kevin Smith movies when he references Alice because he's like oh. talks about flow. And he just kind of basically references the TV show Alice, I, and I was like, "What the fuck is that?" And it's in Chasing Amy, and I've seen that movie like a million uh, times. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because she I didn't or- realize that. Because she orders, and Jay says uh, he wants a toasted bagel with cream cheese and kiss my grits. And then, that's true. Okay. And uh, yeah, he's like, "You ever seen that show Alice? Shit's funny as hell." Jesus, I've seen that movie a lot. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so that's uh, that's my only history with it, and so I didn't. I didn't know that it was based, you know, I didn't know that the TV show was based on a movie. And then getting into it for this, I was like, oh, Ellen Burstyn. Ooh, this is an Ellen Burstyn um, 
not technically produced, but it was material that she brought to Martin Scorsese or, or was bringing out sort of okay. into the, you know, into the, into the world that she was going to star in. Cause this is hot off of her in The Exorcist. And so it was her, uh, kind of in charge of the films, more or less. And so she sort of brought it to Scorsese and, after, uh, I think it was, I think the book says that it was after she read, or after she watched Mean Streets. But I think that she either brought it to Coppola or De Palma or one of those guys that we mentioned last episode, and they said, hey, Scorsese would be good for this. Which is interesting. The only thing I remember from the, from the Scorsese on Scorsese book mm-hmm. was that Marty was talking about how he needed to work on something a little bit more female. Yeah, a little fem- uh, more feminine, that's right, yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, th- I think this is pretty good material in general. Uh, but you know, the fact that he is kind of getting practice from from the, at this point in his life where he is making mostly male, mostly uh, uh, you know, lunkhead mm-hmm. dri- driven uh, films about a guy wanting to get laid and a guy wanting something and having to pay penance for it and stuff like that. There's, there's often these themes up to this point, you know, who's that knocking at my door, mean streets, all of these have this, this type of thing. You see shades, maybe a little bit of boxcar Bertha, maybe just a tiny bit. Yeah. Well, you, but, you, you get the, uh, the sort of woman on the run, like the woman who, uh, exactly. isn't going to settle at home kind of a thing. That's what I mean. But there's immense more craft here. Uh-huh. I think I think I see a, a real film in this rather than for sure you yeah. know rather than just something slapped together in a, in a Roger Corman way I, I have a respect for that type of film I'm just saying in general I I I I just I don't know I think as we move on I'm just gonna get more and more forgettable about Boxcar Bertha <laughs> but but also I think maybe this one too because ultimately ultimately I liked the film yeah and I liked the performances and I thought the characters were fun and 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 the actual journey was good i don't know if this necessarily was a story that was and this is okay but it just wasn't a story that necessarily spoke to me mm. because because i've never had to deal with the things that alice has had to deal with i mean generally um so a lot of the stuff like her on the run and her having bad luck with men and her having to you know ride you know across states to get to you know, where she's going and making promises to her very precocious son and all that. It, it, there was just a, there was just a bit of that, that, you know, it, it was, it was just a fun thing. It was a fun, uh, little movie, but mm-hmm. ultimately I don't know the staying power yet. I've only watched it a couple days ago. So, yeah. Well, I think that you're exactly right on that because I think that the movie is fine. I think the movie is good. I think Ellen Burstyn is, you know, it's tough because in this era, I know her from the exorcist and now this, and that's just kind of it. You know, because she right. sort of infamously hurt her back pretty bad on the emphasis, on the Exorcist movie. And then I don't know exactly how much that impacted her career, but I don't believe that she was as prolific as she could have been after that. Right. Um, because wow. the, I just remember her from, you know, I knew her from The Exorcist and Requiem for a Dream, and that was kind of all I knew her from. Oh yeah, okay. You know, because she's the the main right. the main person there, and um, so that was kind of my oh wow. okay, Ellen Burstyn. She you know she won an Oscar for this and wasn't even you know she was nominated for uh for Requ- Requiem for a Dream but didn't win. 
So I was kind of, I was, I was a little bit like, uh, uh, struck by the, by the opening scene of this film. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, what are we, what are we, what are we getting into here? Cause it opens with like a built set that Mm -hmm. looks very much like the homestead of like the wizard of Oz. Yeah, wizard of Oz, exactly. And she's, and she's singing in like, I think Ellen Burstyn's voice. It's a little girl in, in, in like Dorothy style, you Mm -hmm. know? But at no point, you know, am I like I'm sitting here thinking, is this going to be just a very weird avant-garde? I mean, avant-garde for the time, right? Mm-hmm. But 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 comedic like type. I'm like, this is interesting. I wasn't expecting this at all. And then it it cuts and goes into the oh, and real it goes world. into modern for the time rock and roll and oh, not the hoople. I knew we were in for a good movie. I hear not <laughs> the hoople. I'm all about that. Yeah. Yes, yes, please. And so that was, that was interesting bringing up this beginning. So he talked about how he really fought for keeping that opening scene because I, I watched the scene and was like, Oh no, like, Oh boy. Like this is like old timey capital O capital T. And then, you know, I read the book and this is one of those things to where, reading the book afterwards really helped my enjoyment of this film because I thought it was fine. I think that there is not a ton, a ton there there for this movie to where I think that there is a good character arc, but it's not as, it's not as um, outwardly commenting on society or the sort of nature of man as some of our upcoming films will do. And so I think that this, this movie is a is a quality film that is done really well that does have a few things to say but it's just kind of like it it feels more like it is a assignment that he's doing rather than something that is like inside of him that he's trying to get out you know almost like okay marty give your give your try at this you yeah know, see like if you... here's here's your next assignment go ahead it's almost a little bit like how soderbergh does now where it's you know the one for him one for the studio kind of a thing yeah that's kind of cool though i kind of yeah, i kind of it's it's neat for a for a an artist to kind of like feel like they can go this commercial. Yeah. Well, and what I like about that too is you know, in certain instances you can learn things in those studio pictures that you're making for someone else, and put them in you know your own film because since it's an assignment, it could be like, all right, well, what if I tried this? I mean, I'm not too precious with the material or what have you. You know. We'll probably yeah we'll probably spend a lot of time on Taxi Driver, but I think because of his, you know, female uh, background of Boxcar Bertha and Alice doesn't live here anymore, that Mean Streets and and Who's That Knocking at My Door are kind of smaller prototypes for what would become Taxi Driver, mm. but because of the female element in Taxi Driver, there's a perspective that is lacking in those other two films that you get in Taxi Driver that he may not have thought of in the very early stages of Taxi Driver. Now, not speaking narratively, mm-hmm. of course, and that that that's something that you know Paul Schrader, of course, is is responsible for. But we'll we'll get to that with Taxi sure. Driver. But I'm just saying there there's got to be something there with with his him improving uh, improving his his uh, jump to a little bit more. Uh, I would say gender equal, but but you know what I mean. Like like it's more of a uh, oh gender consideration maybe a little bit mm-hmm. uh, that 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 a different perspective could be seen other than just some uh, low level hood. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And one of the things before we get too far away from it about that opening that I wanted to make sure and mention is we have that 
we had that beginning and I was kind of pretty hesitant about it. And then reading in the books where he, the book says that he uh, had really fought for that because that was the representation of what Alice thought her, um, her growing up was like. So that's why it had to be on a set. It had to be this idealized sort of fake looking um, sort of uh, scene because it was, idealized and it was uh not actually real right and so it's supposed to look it's intentionally looking like it's a fake sort of production and that sort of drives what her memory of this place is and i think that that sort of comments on our memories because it's always you know i remember back when things were always better back in these days or back that in those rose days colored glasses yeah and it, of... it is almost literally rose colored in this opening shot too i mean it's yeah. it's got that kind of a tint to it and so once we got into the 1970s of it, I, I really enjoyed the, the film a lot more. And then, like I said, the book sort of made me appreciate that beginning a bit more than I did. And so that was one of those where I was like, all right, good for you, book. <laughs> like, way to go, book. <laughs> There's <laughs> because, something about this that made me feel like it was a little 80s as well. Yeah, it's got I mean, it's got sort of a more progressive sort of look to it because it's got that... Um, that sort of the diner is sort of like an 80s sitcom sort of a look so once she finally does get there and it's got that kind of harsh lighting and you've got um you've got uh oh you've got diane ladd uh, otherwise known as uh laura dern's mother who is i, I always think of her as Flo. Oh, yeah. but uh you've got that person um that flow character sort of being like the kooky 80s like big personality sort of character and then she's your kind of blah um main lead and then you've got the you know you just got more caricatures once she gets into that diner and that sort of reminded me of the 80s but i was really kind of struck by how uh like how um I don't know if vulnerable is the right word because I think that gets overused when it comes to performances when the person's allowing themselves to not look very glamorous. But I, I really liked that Ellen, Burst, Ellen Burstyn was able to kind of strip away some of the glamour of her character and her performance because there's times where she's either trying to get a job and she's very clearly like using her emotions to try to get sympathy for the guy that keeps saying, like, I don't even have a piano. And she cries and cries and cries, and he's like, I don't have a piano. And she cries and cries and cries. And uh, I was like, oh, that's that's pretty good. Like, I like that. Um, and so that was, uh, you know, and I also kind of liked that she was just sort of okay, like, when she was singing. Like, she was, yeah. she was oh, able man. to sing, but she wasn't really great. And so I was like, oh, good. I kept it, expecting it to get a little, like, like uh, cartoonish or... Yeah, like you know, in a musical the, or something, or, or that, or when she just kept, when she, like you said, when she was just kept crying. It, I oh, know it yeah. worked. I know it worked like a comedy, but it's just like it, that almost got into like almost parody or oh, for or sure. something. I can't, I can't, not maybe not parody, but like a, I don't know. It, it it seemed much more juvenile of a of a of a joke than than maybe what what I was expecting for leading up to that film because she had just lost her husband and. You know, going and, and of course he was pretty terrible, and I don't think either yeah, him or or her, yeah. or her son really liked him. But but then again, like as something that is maybe more relatable to a female audience, you probably are 
you know, watching this thinking like, you know, oh, well, you know, I, I, I like my life. I like doing all this. I love my son and stuff like that. But he's not the person I thought he was. And I bet a lot of people in the audience could relate to something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, what did so. you what did you think of um, Harvey Keitel's performance in this? I thought it was really strange because they played him young. They did. They played him very young and naive. And, and I was like, whoa, I just saw this dude in Mean Streets. <laughs> yeah, and he seemed so much more, and I guess because we have that context, and I also have a ton of context for him, mm-hmm. you know, post-Tarantino era type of stuff. But I'm just saying in general, it was hard to see him in that light as such a young boy, mm-hmm. even though, yeah, I, I realize he's young and stuff like that. But to me, maybe it's hard for me for the context in which I started watching someone mm-hmm. like Harvey Keitel that I can't, it's hard for me to see him as a young uh, uh, adolescent or young, like post-teen well, boy, boyish. I think, I think the thing that he did as well as he could do to play young was he's got that he's got a ridiculous laugh that he uses. Ugh. It's like a, it's like a real sort of it's almost like a um, and you know you're gonna love this reference two weeks in a row. It's almost a Revenge of the Nerds type thing. Oh wow! To where he's got this kind yeah. of like guffawing sort of laugh, and I'm like, God, what the hell? Like what? This is sort of off-putting, but then it sort of works in showing his sort of what you think is him being very naive and innocent and young, and he's kind of got this thrill of you know he says he's 27, okay he's 26, and she says she's in her mid 30s, <clears throat> and it's got this little bit of like oh he's gonna sleep with this old lady and it or this older woman old lady that's five years younger than me for christ's sake i was gonna say (laughs) anyway old lady older (laughs) older woman and um and so he comes across as a little bit naive and then you have a woman show up at her door and you're like well okay well who's this and then it turns out to be harvey keitel's character's wife and you're like uh uh uh-oh and then he comes through and he is scary as hell when he comes through and he's bashing the front door open or the front uh, glass door open and he comes like storming through and he's he's kind of flinging both the both the actresses around sort of willy-nilly and I'm like what the hell like, holy shit and I, uh... that was like such a such a stark turn of tone that i was really kind of i was really kind of impressed with that that section. way yeah way more way more suited for something like that mm-hmm. i feel like because because of his uh, ability to be in like almost an intimidator or just a calm cool collected guy which is odd because he's such a small person yeah and, and, but but there's this ability like he comes across on screen in several of the stuff i've seen as quiet but almost like he could lash out at any minute. Mm-hmm. You know, if you said the wrong thing or, you know, something like that, he could do what he did to that room, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and stuff like that. I think that's kind of why I always kind of laugh when I see him these days. Cause he, he's much older now, but it's kind of funny to see him. Uh, I, I, for some reason I thought of, um, uh, his, his, uh, his prison scene in, um, Oh, what was it? Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, you oh, haven't you seen and, it. Oh, you mind. and Wes Anderson. I've seen oh, yeah. that movie. I've seen that movie. I, yeah, I, got, yeah I, I remember us talking about Wes Anderson. Um, <laughs> I get it. But how, I infamous, have, yeah, for people that maybe not uh, 
real versed on Ben and I's discussion. Ben likes himself some Wes Anderson, and I do not like it. No, I, I sorry, real quick. I don't want to diverge too too much. But how much have you seen of Wes Anderson? Have you seen all of his films, or yeah, have you seen? I've seen you everything have? except for uh, I think I haven't seen Isle of Dogs yet. Okay. And I haven't seen um, oh, what's it's like the uh, such and such brothers or something like that. Um, oh, Darjeeling Limited. Darjeeling probably. Limited, yeah. That's the only yeah, one. That's yeah, the only yeah. other one I haven't seen. Man, okay, yeah. All right, okay. Well, those won't convince you. So. Well, and I, and I was gonna say like <laughs> you see everything else. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't mind weird, but it's just got this sort of so precious weirdness that I just can't seem to to handle. T- so, totally, I I I think that is a total. I I think much like. Well, even sometimes Scorsese, even much like Scorsese, I think I think it's I think it is a taste that you either have to like, yeah, like sure. or not. You know, it's just yeah. So, anyways, um, but no, every time I see someone like Harvey Keitel in mm-hmm. something, I'm always pleasantly surprised or something like that. Because other than other than these lead these leading roles in the beginning, I don't really remember him much in anything else other than all the way up until Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, no, he for me he is a guy that was performing in the 70s and then he was performing with tarantino right like that's kind of that's kind of my frame of reference for him as well and i don't know maybe there's a ton of great stuff in there that i've that i've missed like i'm sure there is or there's i've seen bad lieutenant i guess but that was the same year as reservoir dogs oh yeah wait is that right yeah oh bad lieutenant excuse me excuse me i'm thinking of uh bad lieutenant um Bad Lieutenant Port, Port of Call. Port of Call, With yeah. uh, Nick Cage, right? Yeah, I've yeah. seen that. I've seen that, too. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I mean, if you look at his filmography... So we get to that tons, one. Yeah, there's tons of stuff when you look at his filmography. Yeah. I wonder I wonder if there's more coming from uh, from Keitel with... with uh, I, I, if there is, I can't remember. Uh, post, post-Taxi post Driver. Um, oh, with... Uh, you mean with Martin with Scorsese? Hardy, yeah. Oh well, let me see. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I suppose we'll we'll find out here soon, but um, mm. I don't know. I yeah. just feel like I just feel like um for a while there with with him being in almost every film I've seen of Scorsese's up to this point, uh, he certainly does seem like uh like a muse almost. To, yeah, to, yeah, to I Mark. think so. That makes sense to me. Jeez, Louise, I'm looking at his filmography and I don't see anything in here with Scorsese again. He's in a ton of stuff though. Who's oh, that yeah. door? Yeah, that look, <laughs> this this next film that we'll we'll be talking about it looks like his last one with him, which is a really he's odd right. uh, way to end. Uh, last last Temptation of Christ. It looks like he's in. Oh, is he? Oh, well, yes, of course he's in that. How, how did uh, that? Irishman. Uh, see, I hadn't got up to the Irishman going through the. We're a little bit, yeah, IMDb, we're a little yeah. bit out from that one. Oh, there course. we go. Yes, of course, he plays Judas as La- in Last Temptation. Ooh. <clears throat> so there, there you go. That makes sense. Look so up, I'm looking, uh, looking. one of the other things that I wanted to make sure and mention about Alice Doesn't Live Here is I think that this is one of the few mother-son relationships that I, at the same time, loved and loathed. <laughs> because I thought that Tommy was so incredibly funny at times, but then just a kid that I would want to beat up. Oh, man. Because he would say things such as, you know, she's in there, and uh, at one point she says, you know, you open your mouth and I'm pulling over, you know, 
and he opens his mouth and starts pulling his mouth as wide as he can apart and then she finally pulls over and makes him walk and that's when he goes to he goes to Judy Fo- or, uh, yeah he goes to uh goes to Jody Foster's uh mother's house or whatever and, and drinks all the wine and gets in jail and all that stuff <laughs> and so that's just like uh you know so that was a moment where I was like oh that's cute but then there's times where he's he's being so grating on the screen to where I'm like, Jesus, did the kid from the Babadook like watch this performance or something? Because I'm like, Ugh, I was like, kid, stop it. <laughs> it's like you're doing exactly what you're doing well, but you're, you're, you're doing it too well for my taste. Like it's, it's too on the nose for me. Man. Mm. I, I, I would say I think I at first did not like him mm-hmm. from the, from the salt shaker trick or whatever from the very beginning oh, yeah. but then like immediately after that grew to love him just just because i don't know I, I, there might be something with precocious kids and and being this like smart ass and stuff like that but i think she was so good and their chemistry was so good that yeah. maybe there was something there that made me kind of just win me over right away um but then there, you know, we just talked, got done talking about Wes Anderson and his films are filled with precocious kids. So there might be, there might be something to that. Mm-hmm. There might be something to uh, you being a not so new dad that maybe you <laughs> find some of it, some of it annoying, but also, you know, an educator at, at a certain point. Yeah, you well, know, that, like, that's true. I mean, I did, I did end my education career in middle school, and that's about the age that he is. Yeah, and, and so my, you know all the kiddo, tricks. And, that's right, and my kid. By the time of this release, we'll be 12, and so I'm definitely well versed in all of the nonsense already. So it was it was more exhausting to you, really, the performance <laughs> like, than anything oh, else. Oh man, you're <laughs> like I, I listen. I watch movies to escape, not right? To... <laughs> really, it's like just go read a book, kid. Like get out of my face. I do, I do like how they bandied together, though. Yeah. Against against some of these these more uh, uh, more evil men. I mean, evil maybe might be too strong of a word, but like. Well, know, Harvey just... Keitel is a bad dude. I oh, mean, absolutely. he's cheating on his he... wife with this slightly older woman, and then you know is beating the shit out of the wife and busting his... up Ellen Burstyn's house. And... Her her first her husband that she starts the movie mm, out with. Yeah, as he's well. a complete dick. Yeah, he is a complete jerk off. So I I guess uh, it's pretty appropriate that we're most of the way through the discussion, and we've yet to bring up Chris Christopherson because if you look at this poster, if you look at the trailer image. If you look at anything related to this movie, you're going to see Ellen Burstyn and Chris Christopherson together. And so I think I was watching the movie going, okay, well, this is kind of going to be a relationship drama about these two. And he comes into the movie an hour into the film. And the film is an hour and 50 minutes, roughly. Man. And he comes in there fairly late on. He has got the same Chris Christopherson sort of persona that I've known him from for every movie I've ever seen him in. And he's got that kind of like fatherly sort of authoritative kind of voice and tone that I really appreciate. And what again was interesting about the book was the book talked about how he was very self-conscious about performance. Martin Scorsese would have him just, you know, just do, just be natural, just kind of stand wherever, say whatever, you know, just be loose. And he didn't like that at all. He wanted exact notes on where to stand, what to do, you know, how to do it. And it does not come across in his performance at all. It does not feel like overly measured and sort of uh, picked at. It just feels like he is just this guy is what Chris Christopherson always kind of gives me on screen. 
And I really, I need to like seek out more of his work because I really enjoy him. And I think, unfortunately, I think one of my earlier, I don't know if earliest, but earlier, um, introduction to him has to have been Blade. Like I'm sure oh, I, fair I'm enough, sure, yeah. I'm sure I've seen, I saw things when I was younger, but I remember seeing him in Blade and was like, this dude. Uh... This that dude might... is just this old guy. Like this is just. Oh no, that's not true. Because I saw him in Big Top, Big Top Pee Wee for sure. Well before that. Oh my gosh, man! So... I hadn't thought of Big Top Pee Wee in a long time either. <laughs> well, there's no reason for you to. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think. Maybe the first time I saw him was also Blade, especially that first one. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking at some of these, and and I and I've seen his ver. I've seen part of his version of A Star Is Born. Listen, I couldn't get through that one. Yeah, well, um, like, a, and I've seen the. The Planet of the Apes that he's in. I mean, you can sort of tell. I did see that, yeah. But I might have saw Blade before all that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking more. I'm thinking it's probably Blade, the Blade series for sure. I would think so too. And that's what's weird is he was because he, you know, it's it's uh, that's late '90s. This is mid to early '70s. So it's twenty 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 five years later, and he, besides the beard color, just seems like the same dude to me in this you know he's got that kind of gravelly like i don't give a shit if i hurt your feelings kind of a persona and you know he's saying like i don't give a damn about this farm and he'll take uh alice's character to or he'll take the alice character to uh monterey if that's where she wants to go and all of that sort of thing so i liked that i liked that it um i liked his character in that it continued a theme of hers to where she eventually says to Flo when she has a breakdown and they get run off to the bathroom together. And then you get that sort of comedic bit with the chaos that's happening with them being gone. And they start talking about how the Alice character just doesn't have good taste in men. She thinks, and it's just kind of a through line that for the most part looks like it's true. And then Alice starts talking about how she's not really that good of a singer like she tries but she's got a wiggle in her voice she says and the flow character the diane lad says you know well you need to get rid of that <laughs> she's like well, basically like well no shit um and so i just kind of liked that you know yes this is a movie yes this is escapism but at the same time it's she generally has troubling taste in men he may not be the the sort of one that's going to save the day for her and things even though they sort of walk off to that monterey sign in the distance they things might not work out for her you know it seems like her and her son are going to be solid no matter what but she's not going to be some big star she's not going to be you know you mentioned a star is born she's not going to be the a star is born character she is probably not going to make a mark in the world but it's just kind of an interesting character um just kind of an interesting character piece that uh, this one ended up being and, and i i was a, i was actually really sort of pleasantly surprised with it because it was a movie that i hadn't heard of and so i was like well is this going to be another boxcar situation or i'm like oh boy here we go but uh no i thought it i thought it was well done it was maybe not as hefty as some of his other ones but i was i was uh i was pleased with it yeah i i'm gonna echo probably the same feelings just because of how simple it was to get into i mean this was this wasn't even, this wasn't really that hard of of, of material to kind of to kind of ease into. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I kind of appreciated that in between all the, the hard crime, you know, type of very male centric type of stuff. Yeah. He, which very is, which masculine. is masculine. Yeah. Very masculine. Which is what I was starting to accuse Marty of having a lot of. No, I mean, accuse might be maybe the poor choice of words there, but I still kind of feel like, you know, it's, it's okay to have a bit of variety. And, and I feel like he does these days, like, you know, maybe post uh, Gangs of New York onward. It seems like it's a very varied. You know, he, he can write whatever he wants at this point. It's kind of he can go where and what he wants to do. But at least back here, he 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 did kind of seem like he was kind of going with what he knew, and um, and this was this might have been a a out of my comfort zone type of deal. Uh, that was honestly probably well, it ended up being a very good exercise for him because because um. I think the end result is really nice. He, you know, and the, and the other thing is uh, with, 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 um, with, by doing that, you, you, you take, you take the lessons learned from those and mistakes mm-hmm. and you, and you, and you just make that, that art product better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like taking a, it's kind of like, you know, taking a job that you, that you don't really want and that, you know, that you're, you're being a part of, you still make the most out of that job. You know, I used to I used to think that you know if if it wasn't something in my field of interest, uh, there was no use uh, doing it or or putting any sort of passion in it or anything like that. But I'm I'm have quickly learned in the last you know decade and a half or so that that is absolutely not true. That you can still you can still make good things. Uh, uh, you, you can you can still you can still do a great job uh, by putting your passion in. By putting your heart into it, uh, and not necessarily, uh, you know, ha- having it be like your main focus of your art or something Absolutely. like that. Yeah, you know? it doesn't ha- every not everything has to be this sort of inner turmoil sort of thing that's been eating at you for years, and then you finally sort of let it gest- gestate and it comes out and it's this masterpiece. Like you can you can do your best on a on a film that is maybe not exactly the thing that you know. Like you can go outside of your outside of your box a little bit and do the best you can with, you know, someone else's material and, and uh, a perspective that's different than your own. And, you know, if you generalize, you know, who's that knocking at my door, mm-hmm. mean streets and now taxi driver are all kind of evolved forms of each other. You know, they just keep getting more and more complex. There's more and more levels to all of them. And, you know, by doing something like Alice, it, you can tell you can I can see the edges and the marks within Taxi Driver, the the, the battle scars he got from from something like Alice, um, that that eventually just led to, you know, improving the final product or the final evolved form of Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's the same type of stuff, but there's definitely like, you know, dating problems and mm-hmm. and and crime and. You know, fight. You know, young men, angry young men, fighting films and stuff like that. Uh, that that type of prototype. You know, and also a, a sexual conquest of some sort. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff is is relevant or pre- prevalent, I guess, in those in those three films. Um, and by taking a break from that with a with a smooth, easy, uh, uh, easy, easy writing. Uh, uh, storyline like this one mm-hmm. was was very welcome, and then also uh, um, 
maybe just a tiny, tiny little side note, maybe like 30, 20, 20 or 30 seconds spent on Italian American. Yes, please. Yeah. Um, it is such a short film. It's like 45 minutes. It really, it doesn't, it really doesn't. Starring his parents, right? It's his parents. It's Charles and, uh, I forget his, I forget his mom's name. Um, but she's really the star of the show though. Cause, um, her parents are just so funny. They're, 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 he just lets the camera roll on them and, and they tell their stories and, and, they say certain little idioms that he's like, no, 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 go deeper into that. Talk about that a little bit more. It's like interviewing your parents, mm. uh, but they actually have really interesting backstories and and their and their their parents and where they come from. And um, all the while, uh, it would intercut in between uh, his mother's process about how to make the perfect sauce. And uh, oh and, yeah, and, and, because and, isn't it where they when they filmed when they screened this doesn't it have the recipe at the end or something like that yeah oh yeah in the in the credits it tells you exactly how she how she made it and and uh and it just shows her process and stuff like that her her dad her her husband is is sitting like you know two or three people away from her on the couch and she's just like come on slide down to me you don't need to be you know they're just like kind of bickering a little bit Mm -hmm. and then at the same time uh he's telling her why do you got to put on a voice when you're on camera why do you gotta why do you gotta sound different and stuff like that and it's just it's so reflective of my own parents and you can just you can you can see marty in certain scenes because he's he's also in the shot but he's also you can just hear him laughing in the back because they're just they're like little cartoon characters but it's also just kind of fun because it's 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 a cozy little little project it's not really anything other than just to me at least other than just him just having fun and rolling that camera and and i and i just you know there's something about that i don't know maybe if it was this the times that we're living in or whatever but it it felt like a it felt like a very homely film like a very nice cozy little you know yeah just like a yeah just like a safe little thing that uh isn't going to bother anybody kind of a thing exactly so unlike taxi driver (laughs) yeah unlike our next film well let's go ahead and and move into that discussion here so our our next film it is from 1976 and it of course is taxi driver 272 second call 4147 the Nero bang the drum slowly the critics called him a brilliant new talent. After Mean Streets, they said he was a genius. For his performance in The Godfather Part Two, they gave him the Academy Award. Come on, Mitch. Just get me out of here, all right? Now, Robert De Niro creates a terrifying portrait of life on the edge of madness. Tabby, just forget about this. It's nothing. Taxi Driver, a film by Martin Scorsese. People do anything in front of a taxi driver. I mean, anything. People too cheap to, to rent a hotel room. Oh, driver, hurry up, will you? People want to embarrass you. It's like you're not even there. It's like, you know, like a taxi driver doesn't even exist. This city here is like an open sewer, you know? It's full of filth and scum. I think I know what you mean, Travis. But it's not going to be easy. How do you guys get to be a Secret Service man? What? I was just curious, because I thought maybe I'd make a good one. Hey, what kind of guns do you guys carry? Like 38s, 45s, 357 Magnums, something bigger, maybe. 
I'd like to volunteer. Why? Why? Because I think that you are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. The taxi driver is looking for a target. Thanks. Getting ready. Getting organized. Preparing himself for the only moment in his life that will ever mean anything. How much for everything? 350 for the Magnum, 250 for the 38, one and a quarter for the 25, 150 for the 380. That taxi driver's been staring at us. You talking to me? You talking to me? I don't know if it's weirder, you or me. You talking to me? Well, who the hell else are you talking? Talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. I don't believe I've ever met anyone quite like you. Oh, yeah? You will never see a more chilling performance okay. than this. Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Jodie Foster. Albert Brooks. Harvey Keitel. Leonard Harris, Peter Boyle, Sybil Shepherd, Taxi Driver. And the IMDb plot synopsis for this one goes like this. New York City taxi driver Travis Bickle constantly, almost obsessively, reflects on the ugly corruption of life around him and becomes increasingly disturbed over his own loneliness and alienation. In nearly every phase of his life, he remains a complete outsider, failing to make emotional contact with anyone. Unable to sleep night after night, he haunts the local pornography emporiums to find diversion, and begins desperately thinking about an escape from his depressing existence. Okay, so before we get into what we thought about that one, let me see if I can find my note. Uh, let's see, it is... This is page 62, if people want to follow along, from Scorsese on Scorsese. And he says about this film, Travis really has the best of intentions. He believes he's doing right, just like St. Paul. He wants to clean up life, clean up the mind, clean up the soul. He's very spiritual, but in a sense, Charles Manson was spiritual, which doesn't mean that it's good. It's the power of the spirit on the wrong road. The key to this picture is the idea of being brave enough to admit having these feelings and then act them out. I instinctively showed that the acting out was not the way to go, and this created even more ironic twists to what was going on. All right, so Mr. T, tell me about what you and your history is with uh, with the film Taxi Driver. I can't remember when I first saw this movie. It was mm-hmm. it was probably a while ago. I mean, at least more than a decade at this point. But I just, you know, and I I saw it and I thought, wow, what a great crime movie and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But now watching it again in 2020. Ooh, especially some scenes where I was like, it's so hard not to see an incel or the, Mm. or the birth of an incel for sure. Yes. The birth of an incel or, or just, or just a toxic masculinity, uh, uh bedlam you know kind of kind of feeling to the whole to his to travis bickle's life and stuff like that so um i heard an interview earlier today as i was kind of going over notes and trying to look for certain you know pull certain things from from different perspectives and i heard paul schrader talk to people about taxi driver and a lot of the times he says 
you know, whenever people are like, oh, taxi driver changed my life and stuff like that, he like points his finger and goes, ah, but you, you know, when did you watch it? Let me guess when you were 14 years old. And they're like, yeah. oh my gosh, how did you know? Yeah. And it totally, it, it totally makes sense though, because it is kind of like this weird manifesto type of film because you think you're getting an action film. You think you're getting a crime action film in the way of like Popeye Doyle or, oh, yeah, or what, no. what is a, like a French connection or something, you know, something like that where it's like this gritty, you know, seventies crime movie. But in reality, it's more of a, it's more of a descent from, uh, of being this like little boy who obviously like the rest of us grew up with loving action stars and, you know, killing and all that stuff, you know, the, the very masculine type of thing to being hit with taxi driver and kind of going, Oh my gosh, you know, am I like this? I, I, I know I have thought tendencies like this mm-hmm. because of how this film is done. It's, it, it's, it might be the best example I can think of in terms of, like first person perspective and getting into the mind of a person. Ooh, yeah, and I want to bring that up because there's a couple of scenes where it doesn't follow its own rules. Okay. And so when we get to that, All right. I want to. Yeah, talk no, about that. let's. Yeah, we'll get to that. But I, I just to finish out my history. I, I really, I really was struck by it the first time on just a completely like different level of like, whoa, this is a, this is a crazy weird movie, and and I and I like how it, you know, how it how it plays out and in this like actiony type of way and mm-hmm. i i too am like want to want to put on my military jacket and stand up to to palatine and yeah stand and, up and, to the and, whoever your oppressor is and, and do tell that. that and tell that young lady that wouldn't date me to where she can stick it and like you know right. all this you know all this stuff like that and there's this and then, and then in 2020 as a as a much older man thinking oh my god like this is so I'm so scared of Travis Pickle yeah, and like really. where this yeah. could turn and like just knowing what I know about incels and active shooters and in a world that this is a, still a very real problem. Men are not allowed to feel uh, what they want to feel and men aren't allowed to just men. Men have to either be angry or they have to be aggressive or they mm-hmm. have to be, you know, uh, don't show emotion. How dare you? And, uh, and yeah, and, 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 you know, if you, if you do, you're, you're seen as weak and stuff like that, that is prevalent throughout this film. Absolutely. And, and as we walk, you know, forward in time, this movie just evolves into more of a nightmare than, uh, <laughs> than, a, than, a, than the, than the, uh, fantasy that I might have thought it once was as a teenager. Yeah. So, so how about you? How yeah, about your well, and that's what's interesting about this movie because there's like I'm like bursting at the seams to talk about it, but at the, the same time I'm like oh, I don't. I, it's like such a tangled web to get into, right? Yeah. Um, so my history with it is I was, let's see, I believe I was in high school. So this is in the yep, yep. later, like yeah, this is like middle to later '90s uh, when I was graduating high school in the late 90s and i saw the movie and i think before i saw the movie um no that's not true i think i saw the movie and didn't really know what to think about it when i first saw it and then i remember going off to college here in lincoln and i saw a a bunch of i saw a bunch of different like dorm rooms that would have 
posters of the Travis Bickle bloody finger uh, finger to his head. Uh, or it would have the mohawk standing at Palantine's uh, deal, right? Gotta go. <laughs> and it was like it, it was like this. Um, I always thought of it as like, oh, this guy is like a real like he thinks he's like a man's man. This person that's hanging up this travels Travis Bickle thing. And then I watched it again before we started the podcast, and kind of I was like, well, that's really well done, but man, that's got a lot going on and i don't know if i'm ready to dig into that and so i i haven't really had like a, a huge fondness for it like i i sort of had appreciated what it was and knew that it was obviously incredible performances and uh there's just kind of a lot going on and i just sort of think i wasn't what i felt like was mature enough to sort of dig into it and so I think you're completely right with the whole active shooter stuff, with the whole uh, the involuntary celibate, the incel stuff. Um, you obviously have the whole uh, the whole child. Uh, oh, what would you even call it? I mean, it's not. It, it's uh, obviously you know being a, a pimp and a prostitute, but it's almost like um, it's almost like child trafficking, I guess, because they're from like Pennsylvania or something. And it seems like in that letter that she's she had been um, maybe kidnapped or ran away or something. And yeah, we'll, and we'll, some, and we'll talk about similar. That. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that whole ending piece too, as and the validity of it. But uh, so so watching this again, I honestly was a little bit like, okay, here we go, because of what 2020 is and because of who the current president is. And I was like, all right, well, let's see what my very left leaning um, views are going to be like with this movie. Because I feel like I feel like the older I get, the more liberal I get, and the more sort of like anti this type of movie I feel like I'm getting. And so I watched it because what I didn't want it to be, and what I was sort of like hoping that it wasn't, was sort of glorifying Travis Bickle. Because you see all these different, um, I mean, if you look up Travis Bickle or tra- or Taxi Driver, you hear like one of the most iconic iconic characters ever, one of the most memorable characters in movie cinema, and it just kind of props up this character and doesn't really mention right away that he is a monster of a person. Yeah. I I I think there's, there's two, there's really kind of two views on this film, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And And so I see so much of the like, Oh, look at, he's, he's so like anti-establishment and look at this, 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 I watched the movie and I'm like, look, I have people close to my family that have, severe mental illness and i'm like i see that person in this performance and i'm like given you know given the proper uh mindset and no medicine and the access like this you know the the person that i'm talking about would could does have the potential to be like this person the people i know that are like travis bickle have have rhetoric that are that is similar like i want to i want to wipe the scum away from the earth i want to do this to the you know and and there's there's very good reasons for all of that. Uh, if you uh, if, if, if like I heard about the way uh, Schrader uh, wrote this, uh, he oh right yeah. It, it sounds to me like he was obviously in a very bad way mm-hmm. uh, during the time of his life, but he essentially calls Bickle himself like at at the time that he wrote this, uh, which is very scary. I mean, he's really kind of open about his demons and stuff yes, like he that. Yes, yeah. But he uh, he. 
think he based it off of an assassin uh, mm-hmm. uh, that tried to kill George Wallace. That's correct. The, Al- the Alabama governor or whatever. And um, the uh, assassin's name was Arthur Bren- Brenner is what I have here in my notes. And um, there's just the way that like some of that stuff is just straight up lifted from the 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 dialogue, the, na- the narration, which I honestly did not like at first. Okay. On this watch, on this watch through again, I, I kind of like didn't. I kind of was like, this, we don't need this. Like, I feel like this is we 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 get what he's like. We get, just through his actions, we know. But actually, now that I now that I've seen it again, there's this like almost demented, uh, even more creepiness to him being able to. You can hear you can hear it in his delivery and and the way he talks. It's it's much more. It's much more frightening with the with the narration. Yeah, yeah, it it is, and and so I think that I think that there's no denying the the performances and the filmmaking and the the and you know the actual movie making that's going on here. I think right. what I struggle with is the sort of the, like the the outside reaction to what this film has become. And and it doesn't make me automatically want to push back against it because I think it is really well done. But it is one of those movies to where now I feel like it's almost, and this is already brought up before in this episode, but it's almost to that Requiem for a Dream sort of level to where I'm like, all right, I don't need to see that again. You know, to where it's like, I think that is really well done. I appreciate so many things about it, what it's having to say, what it's trying to do, the questions that it brings up. And the sort of like uh, band aid that it's trying to rip off, but I think I'm good. <laughs> you know, it's it's to almost me, like that. Yeah, to me, it's almost a test movie. It's like yeah. a testing ground for someone, for for a for a, ma- a male in America. Mm-hmm. You got to show them Taxi well, Driver and I mean, when they're a young I, man. I would say you have to say a white male in America too. Uh, you know what? Good point. I was gonna say a white male in America. You know, it's th- it's first person perspective, and especially today. You know, Travis mm-hmm. might as well be a millennial stuck in his lot in life. And he self-flagellates. He he's a racist. He's socially inept. He's mm-hmm. self-important. He has you know, he no treats this, concept of how to communicate with women. He treats this girl Betty that he sees Betsy. at. Oh, excuse me, Betsy. I'm sorry. Right. Um, <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is Betsy because yeah. uh, uh, he sees her at. Uh, I think he just sees her down the street, but then he, he goes to the uh, the place where she works, which yeah, is the... Pal- Palantine's election office. Yep. yep. And he's trying to become president. Yes. And he just he views her as like this submissive angel. Mm-hmm. And, but it but she but the thing oh, the thing is Betsy's played by Sybil Shepherd. Sybil Shepherd. Mm-hmm. And Sybil is um this person who like debuted a little bit earlier with the last picture show. I know this from listening to a very good podcast called the plot, the plot, the plot thickens. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, unspooled is really good too. They talk uh, about both of those in there as well. I oh, no kidding. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. But, but, uh, Sybil Shepherd is on, um, the, uh, the, the, there's a episode completely dedicated to her on this Turner classic movies podcast, uh-huh. uh, that I, that I just want to, recommend because it, it talks about her uh being discovered like on this magazine mm-hmm. with this pose and this exactly. look on her face yep that she is like i dare you to I, like i dare you to come like do whatever you're gonna do mm-hmm. or whatever but also at the same time like how dare you type of thing but that's exactly what she's doing here yes you know she's independent she's smart 
she kicks ass, you know, she stands up for herself to but Travis. She, she's, she's given I feel like books. Yeah, I feel like that she is she's smart in that she's cagey. I don't know that she's like intellectually that smart. You know what? That's a good point because like I think that I think that when they're out together, mm-hmm. I think she goes I think she knows she's going into a porno movie. Mm-hmm. And that but she's she's very she seems aware of that. But I think she just thinks with specifically with Travis, uh-huh. who's not an unattractive person. No, and he I mean, and not, he is she's, and he's, he's fairly charming when he comes and, and picks her up. Yeah, and, like and, he does and a pretty I'm, good job I'm of sure that. She gets all sorts of crap, you know. But it's usually women that are extremely attractive that look like Sybil Shepherd that have this like they have a loneliness and stuff like that because. Men, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I really shouldn't say in generalized in this way, but I, I do kind of believe that men that try to ask people like Betsy out are tend to be maybe a little bit lonelier because men are way too t- intimidated to do so. Yeah, they're like, what do I have to lose? Kind of people instead of yes, and and and, more and, on and, her and they attract people. Level. Yeah, and they and they attract people like Travis Bickle who thinks that they are. There, that there's an entitlement and that relationships are uh, transactional and that, you know, he's entitled to her, to her, to her attention. And so, you know, she's, but she's, it's almost like she's daring herself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, she, it's almost like the, it's, he's sort of the bad boy type of a thing and he's, and, and he's kind of risky. Totally. I do I just, think I, I do I think that know. there's another version of this movie where it's Albert Brooks and Sybil Shepherd, and I'm like, you know what? I, I would watch that <laughs> because I watched oh, those two it? together, and I'm like, he's that's kind of those two are kind of fun. <laughs> they were they were funny in a sense that Albert Brooks is just getting the floor wiped with him. Well, yes, and this is my like it, this is it, my hilarious. exact sort of uh, this is my sort of um, exact thing that I like Albert Brooks that he does to where he's uh, he's smarter than everyone else in the room but isn't as sort of socially conscious. And so he he's like the kind of charming friend that never gets the girl kind of a person. And right. and I just think that he, I just thought that he was a nice sort of addition to this because he came on and I was like, oh, wait, there's Albert Brooks. And then I look and I was reminded of, oh, yeah, I guess he's like third build or whatever. So but uh, but I just kind of forget about him in the movie. Like I forget about him, and I forget about Peter Boyle being in the movie. I just kind of oh think gosh. about. I just wizard. think it's yeah, wizard. I just think it's De Niro, Foster, Sybil Shepherd. Those are the only three the, that I think how, of. How crazy is it? Peter Boyle looks the way he does in this movie, and <laughs> but the story he's telling to everyone. Oh, the, the complete nonsense story that he's just telling but, to his buddies. Just to, isn't that totally a fourteen-year-old like friend of it, yours tell, telling yes, you that story? Uh, yes. And like everyone is, no one's protesting it. Everyone's like, "Oh yeah," yeah. and and except for Travis Bickle, who's like, "I think I, I think you're full of shit." Like I think this isn't that's not real and stuff like that. Mm. That's why I think this is a litmus test for toxic masculinity. Sure. You know, uh, by the age by age fifteen, or I guess maybe seventeen. You know, you yeah, should you can... show. We should show our sons, our white sons, yeah. this movie, and it should be like a okay, did we screw up or not type of right. deal. Yeah, really, because, you should be able to identify the bullshit instead because, of because well, not only that, but just through but just through something like you know a Travis Bickle or whatever, you know, because uh-huh. even the story that Marty tells in the in the in the car, mm-hmm. you know, have you ever oh, seen? Oh yeah, 
have you ever seen what a 44 magnum does to a woman mm-hmm. dot 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 I, I, I probably shouldn't finish that sentence but you should watch the movie uh you've probably seen it mm-hmm. um but it was one of those things that like that is such a i guarantee you he hasn't seen that mm-hmm. i guarantee you he's just he's just puffing out his chest and he's just trying to be a shitty person mm-hmm. you know he's just even, yeah he's having a hard time and he's just trying to take it to the to the extreme even, even him like wearing like military garb uh-huh. like not military garb but like like a jacket a military jacket type of thing and like at first when he talks about well i was in the military i, I did this and that you know oh, i have some education mm-hmm. oh, i have this or that you know there is this like uh phoniness mm-hmm. to to travis and so, like everyone around him, even in his, even in his friend structure, they're all incels talking about. One time, I saw a girl do this, and uh-huh. then this happened, and then she paid me two hundred dollars. Right. And it was just like there's no, there's no basis in that whatsoever. Oh, yeah. guys, she said this just... about this, and you wouldn't know her. She goes to a different school. <laughs> it's kind of what yeah. I I got from that. Or she lives in Canada, or whatever. You know, it's like. It's just such a complete bullshit line to where it it definitely does speak to the sort of mindset that these guys are are sort of stuck in. And they, right? I think they call him like Pretty Boy or something. Well, they one of the guys is called Dough Boy because he'll do anything for a dollar. He'll okay. do anything for money. No, yeah. well, I think they call Travis Bickle. They call him Good Looking or something. Oh like yeah, that. they say something like that too. Well, I'm the sure one guy, the um, well, we I can talk about that here in a second yeah. too. But like, uh, it's all through Travis's head. Mm-hmm. It's all uh, the whole thing is through his perspective, and and because he's a racist as well. Mm-hmm. Um, all all black people in this movie are portrayed as evil, um, including uh, uh, guy that points at him and goes killer and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But he he like destroys the guy in the, or he uh, viciously shoots the guy the robber in the store. Uh-huh. You know, stuff like well, that. and that's one of the things that we should talk about. So he he shoots the guy in a fairly appropriate sort of response, it seems, because the guy is holding up the liquor store. He's sort of defending himself, like he's sort of defending the store. Like the guy that owns this or is working at the store also seems like he's a minority. So it doesn't seem like there's that much of a uh, like a perspective being uh, laid out on the screen there. But what I thought was striking was it was after he shoots the guy and he's like, well, is he dead? You know, they're kind of checking to see if he's dead. And then the owner of the store or whatever props the guy, props this black man up and then starts beating the hell out of him. And I was like, whoa, what the hell is this all about? And and that was sort of a striking thing with the sort of current societal things happening. And I was like, Jesus, like this is this is kind of terrible. Um so yeah, so that that was one of the things that was uh, was striking to me. I also before that uh, scene wanted to mention when we get the sort of rocky moment in this movie, and it's when Travis goes and gets his gets his guns, right? He gets his guns and then he begins this montage of preparing to kill people, to where he's talking about his uh, physical regimen, to where he's not going to be, you know, he's going to be eating better he's going to be getting in better shape he's got to be you know he's this man on a mission they show him doing push-ups and just like flexing in for no apparent reason he's just again it's a it's a 14 year old boy he's he never grew up out of this like are you talking to me type of thing like this 
Uh, it's it, he it's it's he hasn't it's like he he missed a certain step. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's 10 years out of where he should have been maturity-wise and how to deal with this socially and how to deal with this personally and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and he and he talks about all this trash and how he wants to wipe away all the trash and stuff like that. He's in there eating like McDonald's and junk food and crap yeah. like that and he's training and he's I think he's talks about how how he's got some education but it's like you know, and that possible that he was in the military, but I don't think he really was. No, yeah, that that's a whole part of the debate to where when he gets asked if he's in the military, he says that he was, he was, and the uh, the guy in charge of the taxis is like, oh, I was in the Marines too, and it, he kind of looks like he backs off away from that. The porno, the porno theaters, and all that, and and how he just he spends all of his time either watching TV, going to the porno mm-hmm. theater, or working. Mm-hmm. So the gun market guy. Yeah, the gun market guy. Do you are you familiar with that whole thing? No. Like what's, no okay. Tell me. Okay, so the guy that okay, I got I found this today. Mm-hmm. Guy's name is in the film. His name is Easy Andy. He's okay. the black market seller. Mm-hmm. Uh, gosh, I don't have his I don't have his his the, act, the name of the actor in here, but um, I'm I'm assuming it's Stephen Prince because he is in this film called American Boy, a profile of Stephen Prince. Um, but I will, yeah, you're right. I will be watching this. Uh, it's not, it hasn't came up on my order yet of stuff, but it's, it's like after New York, New York, or whatever. But it's a, it's on YouTube. It's, I don't think it's that long. I think it might be like an hour or so. Um, but he tells the story. He tells, he tells a whole bunch of crazy stories about, you know, drugs and drug usage and being, um, you know, a, a, a roadie and stuff like that. But, um, he tells the story almost verbatim of uh, needing to find a magic marker to measure down where the heart would be, have to break through the sternum with a giant Oh, the needle. Tarantino thing. Yeah, he tells oh, okay. the story of that actually happening to somebody. I remember you telling me this story. I don't remember what the context was, but I didn't realize it was this guy. Or it was I, this guy, and this he story. tells it in this film. Uh, and, and it's the same story as Pulp Fiction. You you know that Tarantino has seen American Boy and has lifted that straight from this as like a maybe an homage to to Stephen Prince or something like that. But yeah, anyways, notice all the guns too that's getting sold to him. Oh yeah, you got the forty four Magnum, which is Dirty Harry. Yeah, you got the snub Walt, nose. Snub nose, which is like a bunch of like detective. Yeah, more of your traditional, like a, almost like a noir sort of gun. He mentions the Walther PPK, which of course is James Bond. James Bond, and it, all of these, all of these are action star, juvenile, loved, beloved heroes, mm. and stuff like that. So nothing on that, nothing in those things. I I, I noticed that this time, mm-hmm. and I was immediately struck by how like, I was like, man, this guy is a piece of work. Yeah, it's all like pomp and pretense instead of it's for more actual about, reasons. It's more about that. It's more about the whole. Yeah, it's it's more about acting tough more than actually mm-hmm. anything. Like, like he doesn't does he really give a shit about Palantine and all that? No, no it's no, about no, no, no. it's about no. sending a message. It's, it's about it's, being... yeah. Sybil Shepherd rejected him, and so he's got to prove that she was wrong and that he's worth something, and that's the way that he knows how to do it. And then the you talking to me thing. Did you uh-huh. hear about that? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. did. Okay. All right. I was going to say from the Bruce Springsteen stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, that was another thing where – so that was a, a Bruce Springsteen, and then I thought that it said that he had ad-libbed that based on something else as well. 
Is that right? Okay. I think so. Well, what, what's your what's that what's that story then? Do you know? Uh, you know what? Talk a minute and I'll find it here. I know I've got. Well, it so okay, what people might not know the, the you talking to me thing. I'll fill I'll fill you in on that. So he was obviously he Martin Scorsese wanted uh, uh, De Niro to play in front of the play in front of the mirror, say you talking to me and doing all his his whole rigmarole. Um, but he ad libbed the line you talking to me. And so they asked, where did you come up with that? Like, are you talking to me type of thing? And apparently, I don't know if it was De Niro or it must have been De Niro, uh, who went uh, to a Bruce Springsteen concert recently. And, you know, the crowd was cheering for him and stuff like that to come back or, or whatever, you know. And Bruce turns around and, like, looks at the crowd and, like, very cool, like, says, like, you talking to me? Oh, are you talking <laughs> to me? And so that's kind of, like, where the – the whole thing with you know going going to that to that that place you know this mm. this very very juvenile place of 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 needing to uh, uh, talk back to somebody you know I mean there's so much like immaturity throughout all this that it, it really that, is. Really, that really I mean even even him going to like the porno theater like the chuckles and the jujubes because they last longer yeah. you know type of thing yeah. like there's a cheapness to that you know and, and by and popcorn and stuff like that and like a like a porno theater and stuff it's like okay yeah Yo. um yeah i'm not finding it in the book it must have been an imdb uh trivia thing that i saw and i'm assuming i did see that bruce springsteen thing in there so i'm not sure exactly what uh what did i what i had in mind for the other story about it but uh i knew that it was an ad lib i just can't remember exactly where it came from uh one of the things that i want to talk about is I want to talk about some of the camera choices and some of the shots in this movie. Mm. So I think there are there's there's two really noticeable ones besides kind of the famous ones that we already mentioned with the whole uh, the whole um, suicide with the finger the and the bleeding and all that kind of stuff. But um, and then that shot with his mohawk. But uh, so the two things that I wanted to mention is. And I don't know if I know exactly what these mean, so I don't I don't know if you're going to be like, oh, this is probably this, or if you're like, I don't I don't know, yeah, it doesn't mean anything to me. But the first one is the moment when Travis is talking to Betsy and he's already taken her to the porno show. She didn't in- exactly enjoy that, which you would expect, and then she uh, is basically kind of done dealing with him, right? Like she doesn't answer his phone. Um, she doesn't, uh, want anything really to do with him anymore. And so he, <clears throat> so he's talking to her on a, on a, um, on a, on the phone and the camera kind of moves away from him and he's, he's trying to get another date with her and he is sort of uh, on the right center of the frame and then he's kind of like not really pleading because it doesn't really plead with her too much it's more like oh you know uh you haven't returned my calls did you get my did you get the uh the flowers all that kind of stuff and then he gets to a certain point in the script where the the shot actually just moves away from him and doesn't have him in the frame at all and it just has him talking off off screen and finishing the line and so that was something that I thought was uh, was interesting because it's almost as if like the is it's almost like the anti swingers moment where where you see 
John Favreau and Swingers and he keeps calling and calling and calling and it's so cringeworthy to watch because you are stuck on his face. And here it's almost the opposite of that to where the it's almost like right. the camera is embarrassed and it it moves over to the side to where you just kind of hear him talking and you don't uh and you don't actually see it anymore. So I thought that that was a really sort of noticeable and kind of an interesting camera I hadn't shot. Noticed, I hadn't noticed that shot or that movement. But yeah, at that point when you – it's a little bit like we're too embarrassed to show you, you know, this pitifulness. Uh-huh. But also that we're slowly losing our Travis we started with and we're slowly leaving him and going to a different Travis uh-huh. almost. I don't know. I, I kind of – when you as you're describing it, I, I, I kind of got uh, – uh, like a visual of that mm-hmm. in some ways. Oh, here's the thing that I had found about the you talking to me scene. So it oh, says, yeah. it says, uh, his famous you talking to me scene has been, have been inspired by Robert De Niro's training under Stella Adler, who had used her students practice, who had her students practice different interpretations of a similar phrase. The act, the legendary acting teacher was surprised to see one of her former students use you talking to me as a psychotic, as a psychotic mantra. Scorsese was encouraging De Niro just below the camera while shooting the scene, which led to the rest of the quote-unquote dialogue Bickle has with his mirror. Because Travis is such a loner, he's desperate for any interaction, even if it's just his own reflection. And then later, here in the trivia that I'm just now looking at, it talks about how the, you talking to me was a Bruce Springsteen thing. So, All right. So there you go. So that's that's a couple of things about that. But the other shot that I thought was interesting... And this is something that I noticed uh, mainly because I'd I'd seen the movie and and kind of remembered the scene, but it and so I was just kind of looking at uh, looking at other things in the scene. But it's that moment that I really enjoyed that I mentioned earlier, where Travis is picking up the Sybil Sybil Shepherd character in at her work, and he goes in and he's you know he's chatting her up, and and she's kind of just going along with it a little bit, but not really falling all the way for it. And then he goes ahead and just kind of lays it out on the table and asks her out, like just flat out asks her out. And then the camera at several different angles keeps pulling away from the two of them. Like it's going from close up to medium shot, close up to medium shot, medium shot to wide shot. Like it just keeps getting farther and farther away from them. And so that to me felt like this was her sort of recoiling like, ooh. You know, it's it's fun and cute to sort of flirt with this guy and maybe play around with him a little bit. But then when it was sort of a reality, she's like pulling back away from him. And then I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like, even if that's complete bullshit and that's just something that I read into it, that at least gives me something to chew on in that scene. So I thought that that was an interesting shot. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting that I don't know if I know what this one means, but it's when Travis is talking to... Uh, his different, um, he's talking to Wizard and, and the different cabbies. And he is, I, I believe it's the shot that we mentioned or the scene that we mentioned earlier where, where you have, uh, Peter Boyle and he's discussing this, this, uh, this, uh, toll that he had or fare that he had or whatever you call it. And, um, Travis has a little pill bottle full of, alka-seltzer or has like one or two left yeah. and he just drops it in the water and then you you sit on that cup of water Smooth dissolving in. that and i was like what what is this telling me like i don't know what this really is supposed to represent i was like it's representing something because it's in here 
And it's definitely got a lot of attention put on it, but I don't know if I exactly know what it is. That one I definitely remember. And yeah. you know what? I don't know. I don't necessarily – I can't say for sure. Mm-hmm. But I but it, I guess for me it just – it feels right. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's yeah, him it... watching these sizzling bubbles in the seltzer and just – you know, and what and what seltzer does to your body? It's supposed to clear you out. It's supposed uh-huh. to, he, you know. Well, which is what Travis wants, right? With the he town. wants, he wants not only just the town, but he wants everything. He wants uh-huh. to, he wants to, he wants to rid the world of all the poison. He keeps putting poison in his body. He thinks that this is bad. That this woman is. It's kind of. It kind of reminds me of. Um, was it was it Mean Streets or was it who's that knocking at my door? That he was holding his hand onto the flame. Uh, mean Streets. Harvey Keitel does though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. That's what I meant. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this. There's there's this. Like I will commit these crimes. I will do these sins. But then I will go to church and I will go do oh, these things to absolve. And I'll hold my hand <laughs> over <laughs> yes. the over the over the flame. And if I could survive that, then that means I'm absolved mm-hmm. or something like that. So I think that there's something to that. And there's obviously tons of double meanings. I'm sure. Oh sure. But it, but how that reads to me is we're still in his head. We we don't leave his head. I don't think until he, quote unquote, commits suicide himself. Right. Well, and you've got uh, the Alka Seltzer that's like bubbling, right? Which it could be like his murderous tendencies, sort of bubbling underneath the surface and all that. Certainly. Like there's a ton of different things that you can can read into that. But I was like, well, I don't know if exactly if I know what it means at the moment. To kind of, I know I keep talking about his immaturity and his uh-huh. and his uh-huh. self righteousness and stuff like that, but going in to save a twelve and a half year old prostitute mm-hmm. at the very end and 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 killing a bunch of people in order to do it, there's this there's this feeling of like this entitlement, this feeling of of thinking that he can get away with with doing all this in order to save this girl that is just automatically supposed to, you know. He's the savior. He's the well, one that's yeah, going to come and that's tough. But she's horrified, you know. She's, she, she's she's horrified, but at the same point, it's one. It's a tough because it's one of those where she does need saving. Like she should not oh, be out there, right? And so he is. He is doing what's right for her, but he is. It's it's like he thinks whether that she this wants is, it or not. Yeah, but know? he's thinking like this is what he should do because this is what his he's either seen or. He thinks this is like what what people uh, should like sacrifice themselves for the greater good or whatever, and this is kind of like the best that he's got or something. But then once he once he does the finger gun thing, mm-hmm. he has essentially been killed, and so there's I think there's a there's an argument to be made that he is now dead. That right. He has well, now left his yeah, body. Right. Well, right before so before we oh, get excuse to, me. before Sorry we get that. to that, so I want to talk about a couple of things before we get to that. Uh, I want to talk about the, when he tries to, and this is my favorite movie, or the, my favorite movie, fuck. This is my favorite scene in the movie. It's when he tries to, um, he quote unquote tries to join the, uh, secret, the, oh, uh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> when he tries to join, right? When he tries, he tries to join, to join the, the security secret group. service. He's asking, secret he's asking service. like a secret service agent, hey, you know, <laughs> What kind of gun I'll, do you guys have? I'll, I'll keep uh, I'll keep my eye out. What an idiot! So, you know. <laughs> so what I what I noted about that was so the security at, at the rally, uh, he comes up, and this is this is I think De Niro at his finest is in this scene. So he comes up. Robert De Niro is not a big man; like he is a small guy, right? And he is a slightly built guy, and this Secret Service character this actor that they have is a tall dude like he is at least a full head taller than robert de niro 
And so I like this juxtaposition where you get this sort of sad, small Travis who wants to be this important, powerful man. And they're standing right next to each other. And De Niro's doing the same pose and he's giving the same look. And it's got, it's like that little man syndrome or that sort of like, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of like that sort of like, um, entitlement of a, of a generic, not good enough sort of white man sort of thing. You know, it very much struck to me as like a 2020 kind of a thing where it's like this guy is just a little dickhead and he thinks that because he, because he thought it, that means he should get it. Right. He, he right. thinks that because he wants to be in the Secret Service, quote unquote, then he should be able to get in there. If if he deems it, then he should be able to get it. I'm clever enough to, to figure out this or that. So yeah. I should be able to, you know, and then he's but he's what I like is that he's got, you know, oh, there's some people that are suspicious over there and they do the whole name and address and he gives them, you know, the fake stuff and he doesn't do it right because he gives too many numbers for the zip code and De Niro kind of gives him this little shitty like kind of gross looking smile and I'm like god damn it that is like that is such a good scene for Robert De Niro yeah and I think that he gets a lot more attention for other scenes but that's the sort of stuff where I'm like this is this is really high quality work right here uh I already talked we already talked about the the brutalizing of the of the black man um, and then I want to talk about the scene where we've been talking about how this is a first person narrative because it's almost exclusively told through the eyes of Robert De Niro because he's almost in every single shot, right? The moment that he is not for an extended period is when you have the Jodie Foster and Harvey Keitel scene. And I guess my question is why? Like, why is this in here? Because the movie is almost exclusively like there's moments with Albert Brooks and Sybil Shepherd that he's not in, but he's watching them. Right. And so he can't hear that dialogue, but it's still through a perspective that he can see and kind of make out. But this is something that's completely separated from him. Like he's not there. He's not watching. He's not involved whatsoever. And so I'm like, why break from what is essentially a first person narrative here? And I just kind of didn't get it. So I was like, wait a minute. Like, you're these are your rules but you're not fully following your rules here because this is not a travis scene this is not you know it's it's sport it's harvey keitel's character and he's he's trying to keep um he's trying to keep jodie foster's iris where she is and he's trying to be like oh you know i'll, I'll be good to you kind of a thing like you know everyone should uh be so lucky to have someone love them like she loves me or I love you or whatever. And it just tells them all this gross stuff to a 12 year old. And yeah, I was just really sort of struck by the fact that that was, uh, that that was very starkly different than the rest of the film. I, I think I got it. Though. Okay. After, after trying to think about it and stuff like that. By this point, he knows he's going to go in. He knows he's going to try to rescue her. That what you're seeing there, although he's not involved or he's not talking to these characters could be some sort of fabrication in his own oh, okay. mind. Okay. So it's and all thing, just what he thinks is happening. Yeah. But how are we supposed to know that? Right. And even then, is it that important to know that? Because sure. what's, what's happening is what's happening. And, and the other thing is with, with him, with, with him being able to fabricate stuff and, and create a narrative, it almost justifies what he's doing as mm -hmm. e even that much more, which is why it's so scary. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a similarity to 
this film as there is to a 2019 film that you probably haven't seen yet. Uh, if it starts with a J and ends with an ochre, I have not seen it. That is what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, yeah. It is strangely familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, familiar is an interesting word. What it, what to me, and without saying anything really about it, it, uh, it's a, I'll just say probably the, the bigger thing, which isn't really, he can't really spoil this movie, you know, since mm. it's, since it's really kind of just taxi driver again, but it's just a different, it's a, just, it's a different retelling. It's almost like taking the myth of Travis Bickle and putting it in a package that is probably more easily accessible in 2019, 2020, mm. uh, specifically just wrap, wrap Batman around it. Mm-hmm. And which, it, which sounds absolutely terrible, but, <laughs> yes. but to me, I didn't hate the film like some, Okay. and I didn't love the film like some, I just kind of walked out, walked away from it going, oh, okay. Like, like, like children of today who, who just think that Heath Ledger, Batman, or, or within, in this case, Joaquin Phoenix is just the walking epitome of, of, of like cool punk, like get away with whatever you want fantasy type of thing. Mm-hmm. Why not just watch taxi driver? Mm-hmm. Like why, why, I mean, I guess maybe, I guess, duh, it's, it's right here right now on HBO plus and we can watch it and pop it in or, or whatever. But also like the damaging part of the movie is intact within Joker. Like, like with that, that's in taxi driver, this ability to, well, I'm entitled to this. Well, I should be this. I should be that. The characters even called Arthur. Oh, which, okay. of, which of course is the is the name of the the killer that that the diary is based off of for a taxi driver that mm-hmm. Paul Schrader was reading at the time, but Joker comes in a very long line of of young men, angry killer people like with um with the uh, the I can't think of the guy's name in A Clockwork Orange, you know, and then the, um. The, uh, Alex the, is his name. That's right, Alex from A, a Clockwork Orange, uh, the the mass murder in uh, Targets mm-hmm. from 1968, which I would really highly recommend. That's on uh, Criterion Collection or Criterion Channel, excuse me. Um, that one's really good because it's based off of the tower, the the Texas Tower. Um, oh, the Austin shootings. Uh, yeah, the Austin shootings from the University of Texas. That's yeah. a that's a really good documentary, by the way. That's an animated yeah, documentary that came out. Well, not yeah. Oh my god, I was crying all over that that documentary. Yeah. Um, but Targets is a uh, uh, guy that hides in a he 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 hides on a all he goes around and kills people all over town all day. Uh, even stops by the side of the road on a on a billboard and You're just talking about the Bogdanovich film, right? Yes, excuse okay. me. Yeah, just just shooting people and stuff like that. There's a whole another element to that film that's really fascinating and really cool. But uh, I just I give Targets my highest recommendation as well. But then also this one is kind of the the patron saint really of these crazies. Oh sure. You know, and I guess until you know Joaquin comes with Taxi Driver, or excuse me. <laughs> with Joker. With Joker. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it, it's, it's probably that much more, uh, 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 usable for people these days. Well, they can... it's, it's more of a modern, quote unquote, modern storytelling or what, you know, it's got more glitz and glam from what I understand than a taxi driver would for people. Certainly. And, and they tie it in, wrap in 
some of the Gotham stuff or whatever. And I, I guess, like, I guess that makes sense. But at the same time, like the, you're, you're so that you've probably seen a trailer or, Oh yeah. I've seen enough of, I've seen enough of it to know that I didn't want to see it. Well, you've seen enough of it to know that they're just, they're just doing a taxi driver impression. Yeah, like yeah. even the look of the film is mm-hmm. like, is like the, is like the muted tones that taxi driver has and, and whatnot. And I just, I just feel like that's, it's ridiculous. So I don't know. There's a, <laughs> there's a bit of me that just thinks that why, like, what is the point now? It's yeah. just, it, what it kind of reminded me of is the, the quote unquote live action Lion King or something like that, or Aladdin. Oh, We're just, just going to remake yeah, these yeah, movies, yeah. but put them in a context that they're more reachable for children today. It's like, no, just go. Just go back and watch the yeah, If you haven't seen it, it's it's new to you. Ah, new yeah. to you. The old uh, rerun uh, thing for uh, sitcoms. New to you. To, for all the reasons we just talked about, I feel like Taxi Driver is just such more of a, a deeper... Well, a deeper... I mean, there's a ton of stuff going on. Like, we've talked a little bit about it, but there, I mean, there's just... Depending on your mood and your perspective and what's going on in the world, like, you can you can analyze several different things about the film, Right. So let's let's talk about the ending. So, all right. So the, okay. So he's he does him, he he gets himself the uh, he has the line where he says, "There's never been any choice for me," which it, which I was like, "You fucking like because you have the ability to choose, you son of a bitch." But uh, so he's got this crooked ass mohawk, which at the time I was like, "Okay." When I was in college and people would have this poster, I thought that they thought it was cool and i watch it now and it's like that is the stupidest looking thing like that is not a, like if i saw that guy i'd be like look at this absolute moron like i wouldn't think like ooh, cool look at this guy and i guess I, I would have never thought that i would have been like well this guy is either crazy or he's desperate for attention and even ne- and you know one of the things i learned when i taught at boys town was even negative attention is worth it like negative attention is still attention Right. And he is just such a, like you said, with the incel stuff, like he's just attention seeking behavior, wants to be noticed, has to be validated. And he, so he's got this on here. He tries to attack, uh, the senator. It doesn't work. He gets sniffed out. He runs away. And then he, his next best deal is, well, I'm going to go save Iris. He goes after Harvey Keitel and, and crew. And like we had already mentioned, there's a, a big firefight. We've got some very 70s kind of exploding um, exploding pieces and like some bullets in the face and such, which I was kind of like, eh, that doesn't look the best anymore. Like when the, the character gets the, the literal like bullets in the face and it just kind of like looks like there's something inserted underneath the skin or, you know, it just kind of so like moves it, So face. it's such an indie movie look. To it, it does, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But anyway. Uh, they also get this line, which I think is another thing where depending on your age, you either think that this is a cool line or you look at it now and you're like, I don't think that works very well. But it's when De Niro goes up and he, uh, he shoots Harvey Keitel and he says, suck on this. But he doesn't like say it in like a cool action movie kind of a way. Like he, he kind of just like spits it out, but it's sort of not framed in a way that like a quote unquote hero would say it. No. It's like he is desperate to get that sort of hero moment, but never really gets it. And so then we have, you know, where it seems like he's dead. He should be dead. I mean, he's been shot a handful of times, it seems like. And, and like where his, like, artery is in the Yeah, right in the neck. neck, yeah. And he kind of gives the cop the whole suicide face. 
and then it fades away and then everything is wonderful for Travis after this. Right? Like he gets Well, something before that. Well, tell me. The overhead shot. Yeah, you get the overhead I'm shot. The, the yeah. Hitchcock, the Hitchcock of the camera, the classic like, going, like spirit leaving the body kind of. Yes, yes, exactly. That's how. That's my. That's my. I, I heard that uh, earlier today, and I was a hundred percent like, "Yep, this is that is absolutely what was meant." Because as 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 uh, punched full of holes as he was in that in that wow. hallway, to just cut to a scene where he's clean and everything's perfectly fine again. Man, you know this is this is his last synapses firing in his brain and stuff like that. That's hey, right. Well, this... and I and so I looked it up because I looked up the I I just did a generic search of taxi driver ending, right? And so I read a couple of different articles about it. Okay. And my interpretation seems like it's the same as yours, to where he's dead. He cut. He has these last few moments. You know, Sybil Shepherd's in the back of his taxi. And her like hair is blowing in the wind, and it's very sort of angelic, and of course, and everything is just you know peachy when he's talking to her, and he leaves her, and it's like, all right, I'm off. Well, to and my what next. is and what does he do? What is what does she she? You remember what what she uh, what she does? Doesn't she like? Doesn't he like? Eh, don't worry about it. Yeah, like, well, he's such a noble person. Don't worry about the the the, ta- the Yeah, he the doesn't make fare. her pay for the fare. Yeah. Oh no, I got it. Like, yeah, yeah, yep. sure. She's like, how much is it? And he just kind of like clears the machine Don't or whatever worry about yeah, it. yep man and, and so you know and he's got the newspaper clippings of this hero taxi driver and all this stuff and i'm like there's no way that that's real and so i read <laughs> some of the articles and it talks about how a lot of people agree that the ending is that he's dead except for three main people and they're de niro uh martin scorsese and Paul Schrader. Oh, what do they know? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and so it talks about how De Niro wanted to do a sequel to the film at one point. Schrader thought that that was the dumbest Yeesh. idea he had ever heard, he said. Yeah. Because um, he, he just talked about, like, he wanted to say what would Travis Bickle think of, you know, whenever the interview came out, of modern times, basically. And I got good news for you, though. What? Uh, Travis Bickle uh, pretty much is uh played in uh not not much of a sequel but he appears in another film in a different form do you know what i'm talking about oh no he uh appears i forget the character's name i need imdb or letterboxd in front of me but he appears in the film seven psychopaths played by sam rockwell okay um let me see if I can find. It's uh, directed by Martin McDonough. Yeah, it Martin was in McDonough 2012. After, after In Bruges, yeah. Um, Sam Rockwell plays a character named Billy Bickle. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, Billy Bickle. Okay. And he totally, if you watch that film and you see Travis Bickle, it is he is doing a kind a semi like De Niro impression of of Travis Bickle from back when. Mm. And he is acting exactly like him and is just this like obnoxious, like, but it's almost as if he'd grown up to be like, to live to be like 40 something or whatever, almost 50, uh, whatever Sam Rockwell is now. Yeah, yeah. But, but like, how it's, it is so spot on and it's clearly a love letter to, to that character. Interesting. But it's almost as if he were to carry on and keep going. Uh, onward as if he had survived the movie or something like that and lived to be in another movie it's yeah. ridiculous so so they talked about you know the the writer director and star of the movie do not think he's dead and that makes me think that that is 
I, I just don't, I just, I just don't buy that at all. I just don't get it. They talk about, oh no, you know, it's, it's like, uh, Mark, I think Scorsese had said something like, well, it's six months later and you know that he's going to do something like this again. And that's scarier than thinking that he's dead. And I was like, well, I guess it is, but do you need to have something scarier that's a button on the end of this movie? Like, can it just be the ending of this person and knowing you know, that he's if, not the only if, one? You know, even if he is dead and it's supposed to be meaning as like, and he'll strike again and he'll keep doing this and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Either way, it, for me, it, either way, if, if you read it one way, if you read it the other way, for me, it works because, mm-hmm. yeah, they're right. They're right. It would be scary if he was going to strike again. But in his world, he's like, everything's fine now. I, I cleared out those, those scum. Like, work's going to continue. I'm like a, I'm like a scum ghostbuster or something like that. I'm going to go out and like I'm a superhero. I'm, I'm, I can yeah. have whatever I want. That was his, you know, Neo hanging up the the, oh, yeah, the yeah. telephone and flying away like a cool badass yeah, or something like that. Phone. That's right. Yeah, there's something about that that doesn't matter whether or not he's dead or not. Probably not. But I think it makes way more sense in terms of the information being presented to us. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know. Like, I like to think that he's dead because it it doesn't yeah. make as much sense narrative to me. If no, you know what? Yeah, if he if he's gonna strike again or whatever, like I guess I'm le- I don't know. Maybe I'm less a little bit less satisfied now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. The way you say narrative sense, it makes me. I guess you're right. It does make me kind of feel like, well, you know, what? Why? Yeah. Yeah. The, well, the last piece that I wanted to mention, and it's something that I think we probably should have brought up right at the beginning, but it is the uh, Bernard Herrmann score. Oh my gosh, yeah. Oh, Talk shit. about your iconic sounds. I mean, it is one of those where I, like, this would be something that I could hear this again and be like, oh, Taxi Driver. You know, and just, you could hear any piece of the score and just be like, oh yeah, that's this movie. And it would just bring me so, right back to there. Okay, so like, this is based off of something, I think. I thought I heard that this was based off of a, another New York sounding well, I know that in the book they talk about how it was really difficult to convince him to be a part of the film. And let's see, he talks about how uh, it wasn't easy getting Bernard Herrmann to compose the music for Taxi Driver. He was a marvelous but crotchety old man. I remember the first time I called him to do the project, he said it was impossible, but he was very busy. Then I asked him, he said it was impossible, he was very busy. Then I asked him what it was called. I then he asked what it was called, I think is what that's supposed to say. I told him, and he said, oh, no, that's not my kind of picture title. No, 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 no. And I said, well, maybe we can meet and talk about it. No, 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 I can't. Well, what's it about? So I described it. He said, no, 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 I can't. Well, who's in it? So I told him, and he said, no, 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 no. Well, I guess we could have a quick talk. And then he said working with him was so satisfying that even after he died, the night he had finished the score, which was on Christmas Eve in L.A., I said that there was no one who could come near him. You get to know what you're, you get to know what you like if you see enough films. And I thought his music would create the perfect atmosphere for Taxi Driver. And then he talks about the violence from that point forward. So I don't know what what it is. If it's based on something, I I guess I don't know what that is. And how crazy is he hands it in and he dies? Yeah. And, and Christmas Eve, it's just weird. And, and, uh, the guy, this is the same guy that worked on, uh, one of my favorite films, Psycho. Oh yeah, this little um, thing, this little director ever, named Alfred Hitchcock. If you've ever ever heard, heard of him, <laughs> uh, Citizen Kane. Ever heard of him? Yeah, they're all right. Um, yeah, and and 
something to but i think of of the scores surprisingly this one might be my favorite of those three mentioned that's tremendous and it's I more think, distinctive than those for me, except outside of the whole violins and in Psycho. When you, when you, well, yeah, and well, in Psycho, it makes sense for what's going on there, and it's it's a stabbing motion mm. with sound. It totally works. It 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 makes way more sense. It adds so much depth to what you're seeing on the screen and all that. But this throughout just haunts the movie. Mm-hmm. It it is just there in the background. It sounds entirely New York to me. Mm. When I think of New York. I think of this. I think of this. The song, the, the main theme of Taxi Driver. When I think about the the music of Taxi Driver, this like it's this real long, drawn out, and like you think it's not going to end, or it's or that it's going to end, and it doesn't. It's like this unpredictable. Like you think it's gonna go, leave us, and then it doesn't. And then it flows back in, and then it drops out. You know, it's it's so weird and 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 kind of uh, kinetic in in how it it just it just seems so this it, it's it's perfect for this narration. It's perfect for the mindset that you're thinking of. It's mm-hmm. perfect for the town that it's in. Mm-hmm. There's just so much to it, and it's it might be one of my favorite scores. I think of a film. Yeah, it's you know, really, in general, it's it just, really is very good. Yeah, yeah. I don't so. have enough of the music vocabulary to talk about specifically what it is that it's doing, but it's one of those where, much like pornography, you know it when you see it, or in this case, yeah. when you hear it, and you're like, "Whoa, that is damn good." I think so, you're right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, anything else about uh, Taxi Driver or about uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore before we uh, bid adieu? I think that's it. That's a lot. We did a there's lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. And like I said, depending on the day, there could be a lot more that you bring out of uh, the second film. I think Alice is fine. But it just doesn't have as much that it's chewing on. And I think a lot right. of that, I mean, most of that is because of not only the performances, because it's not like Ellen Burson who, you know, did win an actor or did win an Oscar for this, for her performance. It's not like that, uh, it's not like that she should be overshadowed by Taxi Driver, but it's more in, in what the script is doing than it is uh, anything else. And now this, notably, Taxi Driver was nominated for four Oscars, did not win a single one. It was nominated hmm. for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Jodie Foster, and Best Music, and it did not win. Wow. So. And then I think uh, the other thing was getting led into the Oscars with a bodyguard, or mm-hmm. bodyguard entail uh, for Scorsese because of including a, a 12-year-old mm-hmm. prostitute in the film. Yeah. And he got death, he got death threats. Yeah, even though, they, well. even though I guess for the like body stuff, they used uh, a 19-year-old with Jodie wow. Foster stuff. Okay, there you go. Um, but Who also was actually, what, 12? Jodie Foster, <laughs> yeah, she was actually 12 when she made the movie. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. when you look at the 1977 awards, so you had Peter Finch won for Network. Not a bad movie. If you haven't seen that, you might want to check that out. Uh, uh, William yeah. Holden was also nominated for Network. You had uh, Giancarlo Giannini for Seven Beauties, which I haven't seen. But then you also had this guy named Sylvester Stallone for the picture Rocky Ooh. was nominated. And then Robert De Niro for Taxi Driver. So that's not a bad uh, bad deal there. Uh, no. The other one I said was uh, Supporting Actress. Beatrice Strait for Network won again. Jodie Foster did not. And then for uh, we had Best Picture... Right, and that, let's see, 
why is that not uh, the next one? Oh, best music, the best original score. Kind of a surprise, I would think, went to The Omen. Jerry Goldsmith. Oh, weird. Number uh, number one there. And let me see if I can find uh, best picture here. I don't know why they had this one buried. Best director, Scorsese didn't get nominated for, but that went to uh, John Avildsen for, uh, for Rocky. Film editing. Beautiful. We should we could mention that Taxi Driver was uh, edited by uh, um, it was edited by uh, George Lucas's wife. Oh, uh, the famous, former wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh, gosh, gosh. Oh man. While you think of that, the best Can picture I, winner was Rocky. It's, it's Marcia Lucas, but uh, but I I man. Okay, so. I'm kind of nerding out a little bit about this, but, um, <laughs> that, so there's a lady named, wonderful lady named, um, Karina Longworth. Uh-huh. You, mu- you, you must, must remember, remember this. this. She's, she's a great podcaster. Uh, it, that's putting it mildly, but she, um, I've listened to every single one of these episodes. She is currently making a counter podcast to, uh, the, um, Bogdanovich one I talked about earlier in this episode, uh, and it's entirely fascinating. So listening to them at the same time, it's kind of crazy because she is doing a, a thing, um, called the invisible woman, Mm -hmm. uh, who is, uh, the, the subject of which is Polly Platt, Mm -hmm. who was married to Bogdanovich until the last picture show where he, uh, starts to have an affair with Sybil Shepard and eventually ends up with Sybil Sybil, Sybil Shepard. And, um, she goes on to uh, to do much bigger, better things. Starts The Simpsons with uh, James L. Brooks and all sorts of stuff, and just has tons and tons of success with all her different projects and stuff like that. And Peter ends up doing, um, you know, middle to meddling work, you know, uh, stuff throughout that doesn't quite work or doesn't quite take off in the same way. And uh, and and Karina Longworth finally going to tell um, her story. All of this stuff is so intertwined and so interesting because at one point I got super excited that that not much is known about Marcia Lucas, mm-hmm. and apparently she is the unsung, the true unsung hero besides um, Ben Burt and uh, John Williams, who you know as Ben Burt would be the sound designer for a little film called Star Wars. Ever uh-huh. heard of it? Ever heard of that one? And John Williams, of course. I don't need to. What what more could be said about John yeah, Williams? Yeah, that's my uncle, John, Uncle John. He, He's gonna be. He's gonna. I think he's going places. Yeah. I think you he's should. He's done a thing or two. Yeah. So the other the other person would be the editor for the film, mm-hmm. and that would be uh, George. Yes, but also Marcia Lucas, who edited the film in such a way that made it much more magical and made those special effects pieces work. Karina Longworth had stated that she wanted to make write a book or do a a, a podcast project about her. But that was around the time her then boyfriend, now husband, started a little project called Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Ever heard of it? Yeah, Ryan Johnson. He's a Ryan he's Johnson. Okay. And she said, "I'm not gonna do it because it hits a little too close to home," mm-hmm. which is hilarious. And also, I don't blame you. Yeah, <laughs> but really. man, I need a book. I need some sort of tell-all about Marcia. Yeah, oral history or something. Yeah. That would be incredible, and I'd love I'd love to hear her story, especially uh, and how it pertains to the production of of Star Wars and yeah. and and why the 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 film drove 
for her and George to split. I realize it's their business. I realize all that stuff or whatever, but still there's this fascinating thing that's sitting there that would be interesting to explore, uh, especially all these hidden women without throughout Hollywood that yeah. I find entirely compelling and just it's wonderful yeah it would definitely so, be worth a read for sure uh, rounding out the academy awards thing i finally found what i was looking ooh, for yeah. here so best picture was rocky that year and i remember that being very controversial uh not i don't remember but i remember reading about that being controversial. was it rocky i thought that was 77 yeah 77 this this came out in 76 was 77's academy awards okay and then for some reason i thought annie hall won no no i think that's the next year Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, and so this is, uh, so Rocky wins. The other films that were nominated were Bound for Glory, which I haven't seen. This film, Taxi Driver. A little film called Network that already won some of the acting awards. And then this other little film called All the President's Men. So, heard of it? pretty hefty, pretty hefty films there. Not okay. exactly, uh, you know, not exactly, um, a lightweight group. Oh, yeah. Man, 70s was real, was a drag. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who was only alive for uh, about a month of it, I can't necessarily speak to it. <laughs> I'm holding you entirely responsible, Eric. That's right. Yeah, so the, the following years when Annie Hall won, but that was when also uh, Star Wars, The Goodbye Girl, Julia, and The Turning Point, which I had never heard of those other three films. It's so crazy because Star Wars is such a lighthearted affair in comparison to everything else no wonder it made the impact it did mm-hmm. well so annie crazy. hall is a isn't that serious of a film we just no. did we just did annie hall not too long ago and i, I thought a... it, i thought it was fine but i didn't love it oh man oh i i see i might have seen it a couple times and maybe it just grew on me or something well my favorite joke in that one is so stupid he pulls the guy that he's talking about uh-huh in the movie standing, yeah, in the movie theater, yeah. they're standing in line, and he goes, well, I actually have him right here. So, yeah, he goes, uh, talks about uh, something about writing the script or some some sort of stuff like that. Yeah, so or where it works or whatever. Such a, yeah, Such a dumb thing. And then, because that's Deadpool these days. Oh, absolutely. They, they just, I was just, just thinking that exact same thing. They would have just had Deadpool do that these days. And then the other one was um, the split screen uh, oh, of, them, yeah, yeah. of them going With to the their... Uh, you talking about it, when the when they're on the rooftops and they're doing the caption stuff or what? No, oh my god, that's good too. Shit. Yeah. Uh, no, the one where they they do the split screen and they're both at their own uh, therapist and they go, oh, how how often yeah. do you have sex? And he goes, we hardly ever have sex, like three times she a week. And then she goes the constantly, yeah. <laughs> three like three times a week. Yep, that's really good. That oh. is really good. Well, what else was really good was these two efforts by Mr. Martin Scorsese. Yes. Man, this uh, was a good round. If you haven't checked out Alice Doesn't Live Here, you should check it out. It, Like we said, it is kind of a lighter film, especially in comparison to Mean Streets that came before it and Taxi Driver that came after it. Uh, and so I think I like that, that he's kind of doing that uh, a little lighter and a little heavier, you know, and he'll kind of yeah. continue that for a little while here. So. Wrapping us up, Mr. Teed, if you have any comments, suggestions, or movies that you'd like to hear us talk about, you can email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the show over at Twitter. Our handle is at plainlabelpod. You can follow me over there. I'm at ericwilliams79. We also have an Instagram account. Just search for plainlabelpodcast, and you'll find us over there. If you wanted to help us out a little bit, you can check out our show notes where you'll find a link to our Amazon wish list. I do want to thank Mr. Teed for coming on once again. If people wanted to hear more from you or get in touch with you, where could they do that? Yeah, thanks for having me. You can find me more at 
Ben Teed on Twitter. That's T-I-E-D-E. All right. Perfect, perfect. And, uh, yeah, so thank you for listening. And join us next week when Mr. Teed and I continue on with uh, Martin Scorsese with a couple of films called New York, New York, and this other film called Raging Bull.